Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Happy July. Yeah, happy rugby in July. <laughs> Uh, good evening, I suppose. Okay, <laughs> uh, Joel Ireland's nearly finished, so let's get touring in July. Um, this is the hottest take we'll ever do because it's the the day of a match that we're recording our podcast. And just before we press the record button, we said, "Remember, keep it hostile." <laughs> uh, so on the agenda for today it was Ireland's woeful performance against New Zealand, Mary. Um, before in last week's edition of Demented Moles, popular uh, podcast, the Molecast, I was saying, <laughs> would, would we win a game? And then uh, when I was listening to uh, the Forty Two's excellent um, podcast, Birch was sort of convinced that we had to beat New Zealand and won these games, and um, you know otherwise we, you know we wouldn't be making progress. And I was going like, how many times has a Northern Hemisphere team gone to New Zealand? This century and beaten them. England. England. 2003. I don't think there's any other ones. Maybe maybe France won one game in a three-test series. I don't think they did win. A long time ago, maybe. I don't think that I don't think yeah. they did. So anyway, I didn't do the research, but <laughs> off the top of my head, it's one game in 22 years. Um I that's why I was like, will we win a game on this tour? I and then when I saw the team. Uh, that was picked I thought geez, they're going to have to have the best games of their lives to beat the New Zealand Mary um, but what we saw was a lot more disappointing than the best game of their lives <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to deal with that in the aftermath of I didn't expect any better I didn't expect I didn't expect much better but I hoped for better and I was disappointed I was disappointed on both I I I can't think of anybody who comes out of a well from either the players or the coaching staff. Like the the preparation of the team looked abysmal and nobody played well. You could say like Bundy and Keane Healy, I thought were, they looked like guys who'd won a Grand Slam. Um, and I thought Coombs was, was okay, but he wasn't as good as I'd hoped he'd be. So I, again, I, I I think I have to combine my like you know hoped for level and expected for level, and say that everyone fell short of the hoped for level, and three guys like hit the expected level, and after that it was, it was a bit of a wash. Yeah, like we were texting between the, between ourselves when the when the game was on, two of us where one of us was working, um, and like I thought I thought nobody played well. Like nobody turned in an accomplished international performance. Like Bundy, in my opinion, soiled his bib a bit by giving away two soft penalties. Um, he played well, other than that, in terms of he got over the gain line. Um, stuck to his tackles. Stuck. 
Todd Coombs was, was pretty good at the things he does well. And like, Coombs is good. You see, like, I think Coombs is a good player. He is good, like, yeah. I would have played, like, I wouldn't have played him in this game. I would have played him uh, at the weekend against New Zealand. Uh, where I'd play him at eight in that game and play Doris at six. And then I would have played O'Mahony at six in this game. Um, and it would have given the team so much leadership, which they had no leadership in the pack whatsoever. Like, they had no caps in the pack. They had very little experience in the pack. And they had fucking no leadership. Like, it was a team pulled together from the four proud provinces of Ireland. Like, it was picked so that nobody had ever played together in the same unit. It was like fucking putting a jigsaw together. Oh no, they can't go beside each other. Not they're, from the same box. They're, 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 no, these two can't go beside each other because they're the same colour. You have to pick this one beside each other because they're different colours. Like racking up a pool triangle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I just went, like I was looking through it and like if you look at the front row, it's Munster, Connacht, Ulster. The second row is Leinster and Ulster. The back row is Connacht, Munster, Ulster. The halves are Munster and Leinster. The centres are Connacht and Ulster. The wings are Munster and Leinster, and the fullback is Leinster. So, of any unit, like there's only two players from one province in one unit, and that's Larmer and Jimmy O'Brien. And they don't fucking play together because basically, Jimmy O'Brien got into the Leinster team when and took his chance when Larmer got injured. The players are really, there's quite a disparity, like even in the bigger units. So, your front five, like there's two players in the front five who've played together Tom O'Toole and Treadwell. And they basically mostly this this season have been used as subs. And then if you take the back five, then say four to eight, there's Treadwell and Timoney, and that's it. And then if you look at the, the midfield, it's like Leinster, Connacht, and and Ulster. Yeah, you know, it's like there's there was no fucking combinations there who had ever played together. Like there was an impossible. It was like he went out of his way to pick to pick a team. To just perform as individuals, and uh, and most of them like like people tried, you know. But like they're all over the fucking place. They're all over the place. Their defense, like their line, they they gave away nine penalties in the first half. Like they gave away rack upon rack upon rack of penalty advantages. They're still penalties, you know. And as I was saying to you guys before. No penalties in the scrum, no penalties in the line-out, no penalties in the mall. It basically wasn't the mall. No penalties for high, later aerial tackles. Four penalties against him for offside in the back line. That's not necessarily a backs one. I'm talking about his back line in the fence. And five penalties against him at the breakdown. So nine penalties against him in 35 minutes for two offences. Like, Jesus, like, fucking stop making the same mistakes time and time again. After 32 minutes, they showed up this sign saying, like, 74% to the Mary. And you go, how do they, like, why can't we get our hands on the ball? Because once they have the ball for fucking three phases, we either lie on top of the tackle or exit at the wrong side of the tackle or run up in front of fucking Wayne Barnes and wave our hands and tell how offside we are. Yeah, oh, the, the leadership thing really struck me. Like, you, you made the point before the match that... No one in the pack has uh, a history or experience of calling a line out. Yeah. Um, and I was there going, whoa. But even looking at them. Line it didn't go too badly for like I, 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 So we were chatting beforehand, you're sort of going, like, what do we talk about? And 
I had this real thing about the Lions when Gatlin took them over that I lost interest more and more each tour. And a lot of it was because, oh, you know, now one remembers the midweek matches. Now in case, it's all about the test series. And I was looking back going, oh, annoyingly, he's he's right. But <clears throat> I probably lost more interest in, like, I didn't watch the tests uh, the last time. <laughs> after ones. Got so bored after the second one. I was there going, ah, oh, I just... I'm not that fussed. As long as the Irish guys don't get injured, this has been like, you know, whatever. Um, and whereas I've seen living with lines oh, however many times when, when they had a great midweek tour. So you're looking at it going, is, is this what mid, like, is this what touring has become? It's just that like the guys are only there to do training and just because it looked like an archetypal seconds team performance of, we're going to train for an hour. The first are going to like run at you, do the patterns, do everything for 55 minutes. And then at the end, we go, oh, do the second one run? And, you know, you go through a desultory four or five minutes of just people dropping the ball and <laughs> I, I don't know doing what. Falling over. Uh, falling over. And then, and then going out and playing without... Uh, that's what Ireland's second team looked like. It, it looked like, like a club... Second fifth, it looked like a nicotine 15. Like it just of guys who hadn't trained together. And again, about the leadership, the idea about the Lions going on tour. When Rory Best went on tour to New Zealand, I think it was New Zealand, I think it was pretty sure it was New Zealand. Like Joe Marler just said, Oh, I'm just been out drinking all the time. Like Bestie just brought us out drinking all. Mm. But they looked like they're enjoying themselves. They played a match against Wellington, their last match on tour before the second test. They didn't have any match in the last week. Ian Henderson had a great game. Yeah, Should have got picked ahead of Courtney Laws. Now, it was very unfortunate to get binned in that match, which might have caught, you know, counted against him. But realistically, Gatti just had his favourites and it didn't matter how well you played, you weren't going to get picked. But but Hendy should have been picked on the bench for that. And... Donnie's Donuts. I thought that... But I, I thought that... Like, that team had an identity because Bessie just brought them out in the piss, but, like, led them, brought them together, had a personality to bring them together, whereas you're going, like, who's who's the captain of this seconds team? Bundy, who's more concerned about playing in Waikato. And I, I don't mean, like, more concerned, but, like, of course he is. He's playing, playing in front of his mum. Like, he hasn't seen his he hasn't seen his family for, like, he hasn't played in front of them for eight or nine years. So this is a huge match for him. But, like, I don't know if that's enough. You know what I mean? And that that's not a criticism of Bundy. It's just, like, it was a big time for him individually oh god yeah you think first captains second captains whatever like there's a reason why people take second captains on the tour leo cullen like deck and kidney taking leo cullen to the 2011 world cup leo cullen's there to captain the team you know and donny's donuts as i referred to before don lennon captain the 1989 lions midweek team like this shit works like we had no seconds captain out there. Bundy actually doesn't captain teams. No. You know? And like Bundy held up his own end, but like, he's not a fucking captain. Like he, the team was not on the same sheet at all. The team didn't know how to stop the bleeding either. Like that second quarter, like if you look at the first half, like it's mistake riddled. There's a lot of handling errors on both sides. The ball is like, Waikato is the slippiest pitch. Like it's really lush. But it fucking rains there all the time. And um, and the, the ball is going everywhere. But like 20 minutes in, I think it's 11-8. I think we just, you know, like we were, or sorry, 10-8. Um, and then we conceded like 20, f- 
fucking five points or something in 13 minutes. And a lot, like, there's, there's, you know, there is loose kicking there. Like, Jimmy's kick, Jimmy O'Brien's kick for their fullback, Zarn Sullivan's amazing 50-22, is a bad kick. Some of the other stuff being picked out as loose kicking, it's not a loose kick. Like, there's a, there's a bomb from uh, Kieran Frawley, which, which O'Brien gets a good chase on, competes for, and just doesn't get. Like, that's a fucking good kick. The, ki- the kick... The fences. F- no, that was the last one. Yeah. The last one is the one that bounces. Uh, so it finds, it finds grass, it bounces up. Jimmy O'Brien makes the tackle, and then there's fucking nobody behind him. There's no one else there. You know, it's an appallingly slack chase. So the, the, your man passes to the winger, the winger runs through Key and Prendergast tackle and just runs around Craig Casey. Oh, it's a bad kick. It's a fucking terrible chase. So part of it is about like, the first kick for, for the 50-22 rebuttal. <laughs> the rebuttal <laughs> like that uh, that's a shit kick but most of the others are grand kick and terrible chase and like that's like that's a lack of organisation and you know a lot of it is a sort of fucking lack of effort it's like oh I want to get on the ball and run or I want to do something to turn over you don't want to work off the ball there was another issue in the first half Craig Casey makes a break there's a there's a Mary Black line on the wrong side of a rock on the halfway in the middle of the field Craig Casey's looking for the penalty, doesn't get it. He sort of slips around, makes a break, gets scragged. Next people in a frawly big Joe McCarthy. The rook is counter rook then, and the rook is on. Literally, the ball is on the ground for seven seconds, and there's not a single one of the Irish back row enters the picture, which contains at this stage about 12 players from both sides for seven seconds while the ball is being counter rooked. You're going, where the fuck are you three? So like that's like that's a function of players like not knowing where they're supposed to be, and also just like there's a lot of players playing for themselves because that's the way that Farrell selected a team. Farrell selected a team without a captain, without a line caller, without a pack leader, and uh, and it basically goes, oh, this is like it's a ruthless selection, expecting people to like show up or basically not get picked again. And uh, in some ways, it was. Reckless because they didn't give them a very good chance of winning the game, and in some ways it was foolish because like you didn't give many players a good chance of playing well. He can go, oh, the guys who stood up, you know, that's the people I want in my team. Well, you had fucking three of them. One of them got injured, and you already knew you had one of them. Like, and it reflects very badly on the coaching staff because after the first two seasons of Farrell, and I know that they, they, they beat England in the last match. I was certainly going, geez, like, whatever about Farrell, who's kind of likable, like, my cat's an absolute spoofer, and I'm not really sure about Farrell. Jury's still out in Farrell mm-hmm. for me. Um, and then Ireland turned around, beat the All Blacks, put together a really good Six Nations, um, like, reasons why we didn't beat France, but losing to France and Paris isn't a disgrace, no. you know? Um, and you go, holy God, like, Farrell's, Farrell's turned around, Farrell's brilliant. But I think a lot of... Doubts resurfaced about the coaching ability of the entire ticket on the back of that display, particularly because Joe Schmitz, everybody likes Joe more and more the further away from his Irish period they get. But but also his his team style of play gets more and more criticised as though I was too attritional, it was too one out, it was too boring, it was too anti rugby. Like anti rugby is 
freely used now about about mm. Schmidt era. But you also look at the teams that Joe put it, and I can't remember him having midweek matches. Like I don't think they played a midweek. I can't remember a midweek match in Australia. I can't remember a midweek match in South Africa. There wasn't any. So there wasn't any. But any team that Joe Schmidt put out was well prepared. And there was so much sloppiness that like, really the only thing you're looking about in this Irish team is guys getting their combo patterns of playing out the back door. But that became so predictable that Kieran Frawley got absolutely drilled uh, from a pass that Prendergast gave him where the All Blacks were going, he's going to pass it out the back. <laughs> and and they, they, just smashed, they just smashed him. He smashed him backwards. And you're going like, that ball was only going one place. And it was like it was so laboured, it was so obvious that you're going like this is the only thing they've worked on, and it doesn't suit this team. And it, like it's classic bad coaching where you're going to go, we're going to make these guys play a certain way, regardless of whether it suits their skills. We're not going to like we're not going to hide our weaknesses and promote our strengths. We're just going to make them to play in this pro forma cookie cutter way. And you're going like that never works, never from a coaching point of view. And like sometimes you have this debate as it is because some people w- would go for it. Oh, no, you bring the players up to that standard and you just start going, no, mate, like you just... In four days when they're you, preparing to test team. Like, you, you play in order to suit whatever strengths of team that you have and you're up against it with that front row. You are. You know, and then the other thing is like in mitigation for that, like the Mary are preparing for that game. The Irish team are preparing the Ireland test team for the, for the weekend's match. So... There's a, there's a difference in approach. But like Prendergast, like Prendergast put in a, a big effort as you would expect. Like thought he did grand, you know. Like I didn't expect that much from him. Uh he passed into Keane's face from like a foot away with a pullback pass, and you're going, Jesus, why did you do that? Like um that one to Frawley. He got harshly penalised. He was one that there was like I felt that Ireland were harshly penalised twice and nine, and I'd say harshly like fifty fifty harsh. He went in for what looked like a good steal, and, and Barnes said he had two goals. With him. I don't think he did, but then he went into a shell after that, and he didn't attack any breakdowns. We were fucking woeful at the breakdowns. Like Jerry Lockman looked like he went in for about four or five steals, and it's just like you know, the fella looked. Well, he shouldn't have come back on. He shouldn't have been back on. I can't like, believe he came back on. Yeah. Like, he, I, I was watching that and I saw him go down and uh, he got up onto one knee and then he tried to stand up and he fell over. Like, you're going, this fella shouldn't be allowed back on the pitch. That's a bit of a fucking nightmare for Ireland because Keen Healy shipped what looked like a very serious injury uh, to his ankle or certainly a lower, one of his lower legs. And you're just going, like, that's his tour gone. Without a shadow of doubt, as tough as Keen is, it's his tour finished. It's his summer over. It's his preseason gone. And like loose head is where Ireland are at their absolute weakest. So what? Um, I mean, fucking hindsight genius here. Was it worth playing a midweek game? Well, you you said that you made a good point after and you go. They always look so attractive in theory, and then the reality of them is like they're so tough. It's such a tough schedule. Uh, and you pick up knocks and people are going back up. And like the World Cup, the World Cup format isn't as, as testing as this. So like I really enjoyed having a match to watch this morning. And, uh, I enjoyed it for about five minutes. <laughs> I enjoyed the first like 18 minutes. And then about four of the first 15 minutes of the second half as well. I, 
So yeah, I think it was I think it was worthwhile, but I think I think it was a sort of a poorish selection. It doesn't have too many options. But like there's players who you mentioned them before, players who didn't go on this tour, who in in the on the basis of one game in which they didn't play it, they look like better players. I'm struggling to think about it. Um, but I, I love I love the midweek. I love midweek matches. Mm. I um and I'm really looking for I think the the format of the tour is very good. The fact that they're not playing this week and next week and then they've got like time off. These guys have two weeks off, so they, they can go out in the piss. Like they, they can go bungee jumping, they can do like they can do stuff down in New Zealand and they've got time to get their heads around going. Like, this is all we have. Mm. So, like, if, if they're going to go and the Test 15 is going to be pretty much set in stone and, like, we don't have another opportunity to get ourselves playing on it, get your head around that you're a pro rugby player, you're getting paid out here, and knuckle down to give the Maori a match for 80 minutes. Because the Maori switched off after 40 minutes, which is oh, incredible yeah. for a New Zealand team. But, like, like it, if you're one of the Irish teams today, like, you've got to be embarrassed by that, by the fact that, like, they played for the first half, got to 35 points, and then just, like, couldn't be... Like, just, just, just couldn't get themselves back up to the level. And, and it didn't really make a difference. Like, they made their tackles, they got underneath the ball when they had to do it. But you're sort of going, they're actually beatable. And, mm-hmm. the, like, they're not... Like, I'm not saying they're, like, Ireland are 66% likelihood of beating them. But Ireland do have a chance of beating them. And if they beat them, they'll get so much out of it. And, like... I think one of the things that struck me was that there's a few things that struck me. One of it, it was very, it was very like a lot of tours that have that have gone by. It was like something from the '90s. It was like every time Ireland go down to the Southern Hemisphere, they're surprised by the physicality, and every tour they get better because they get accustomed to the physicality of just they're going shit. You just have to play faster and harder here all the time. And it reminded me a lot about like the under 20s where guys just get shocked by how physical it is. So once you've got that shock out of your system and you just go, shit, like this is it, I think that's a big plus for the tour. I hope it is a big plus for the tour for this team. And then I think that you want to see who reacts and that will go a long way towards deciding who's in future squads because... I got the impression that there's a lot of guys who sort of get dragged along by provincial rugby that Jerry Thorny wrote an article about the fact that we have a small playing base. And then you look at it and you go, yeah, he's right. We do have a small playing base. Like, is it fair to compare Jeremy Lockman to Andrew Porter? Because I, I saw them both play for UCD in the bowl uh, against Terrier. Not in the same match. I saw Porter, when he was converting a tight head, get flying lessons from, from Gary Hamilton. And I saw Lockman play. Um, and the thing was, like, Lockman didn't stand out. Like, you're, you're sort of going, all right, I know he's in the, in the Leinster squad. He's in Leinster, I think, at that stage. Or had he just gone down to Munster? He, he was available. He might have just transferred that season. But he was available. But he didn't stand out. And you're kind of going... So when I saw him being picked, I was like, they're going to they're gonna struggle here. Um... And the reason I bring the two of them up is that there's a disparity in athleticism. It's not just enough to say, oh, like he weighs this much, they're both professional players. Like you're, you're not comparing like with like. Like Jeremy Lockman is a guy who's 
looks quite small, naturally speaking, who's got himself big to play pro rugby, whereas Andrew Porter is an incredible athlete. Uh, like he's, he's just a really strong guy who's also able to shift, who's also able to play ball. And you're going, when you're competing against the Maori, when they're from New Zealand, they have a much bigger playing base. So are you just competing against better athletes? And I know like their skills are better, their catching pass is better, their instincts are better. But you also sort of ask yourself, but like, like if you were to go down... If you're just to reduce the New Zealand playing base, like they wouldn't be as good. <laughs> like it doesn't matter how many like catch and pass drills they do. So I think that's a bit of a that's a bit of a struggle for Ireland. That like not not a, not every single one of them is going to turn into like a test match animal. But you want to see the guys that do show up, and you want to see the guys that. Say it's very difficult mean. to challenge for a test match spot. What, what do you mean? Say what I mean. Just like just players who aren't good enough. It's not their fault. They're doing their best. Like it's like we had this conversation before about Alan O'Connor, Witchley. Like these are good pro players. Not good enough to be regular internationals. Like Jerry Lockman is not good enough to be a regular international player. It's not his fault. He didn't select the team. He's doing his best. He's a solid pro. Yeah, and I suppose like I, I went in a few kind of whatever those Russian dolls are called. That we're starting off, you're going like, but he's in the monster squad because like there's no one else. Like you have to pick, you have to pick a certain level. You have to pick a certain number of guys to have a match day squad at provincial level, and the four provinces have to pick them. So guys kind of get dragged along because they're better athletes than the alternatives. Um, but just because they're pros doesn't mean like it, it doesn't. Being a pro doesn't turn Jeremy Lockman into being Andrew Border. Oh, one hundred percent. And I, I went about that a long way, but the guys lack that leadership, like you know. And they, they, it's it's very it's very challenging. It's very it's very hard to get past it. Where the guys just go, look, I'm I'm enjoying being at like a squad level player, but like I can't make the jump to being an international. Yeah. And like people, like, it's a, it's a hard realization to come to. But when you're down in New Zealand, I think. This is really the essence of what Farrell was talking about. That like you're not driving down Balls Bridge, people being nice to you. Like you're you're sort of going, do you know what? I better enjoy my time when I'm down here. But we've got a match in two weeks' time, and like it could go one of two ways. But like the coach isn't even putting it. Like I feel sorry for Jerry Lockman because he got co- suspect concussion with his first touch, and shouldn't have had to to play on. Shouldn't have been back in the pitch. No doubt he wanted to come back in the pitch. He's a competitor, but like. He's put in a shit position, playing with a guy he's never played with before beside him, with a guy he's never played with before behind him, with two other guys he's never played with before in the other part of the front five. Like, you're not, you're not giving him many chances to succeed. Like, Tom O'Toole didn't look good out there today. No, none of them look good. You and this, this is your point about the fact that they weren't picked as combinations. And, and you can't necessarily, like, if, if, you know, if you had the opportunity in that game to pick Rob Herring, but, like, Rob Herring was probably going to play, be back up for the weekend's match. And you're always going to use two hookers in a game. So, like, maybe if we had Kelleher and Rob Herring, then we could have played Rob Herring. And then you have a captain and an experienced player. And then you have one, two, three in the Ulster front five. And you're just plugging in a couple of other players. But, like, you're asking guys with zero caps. Joe McCarthy, this was Joe McCarthy's fucking 12th game of his pro career. He's in second year of the Leinster Academy this season. And he was... 
for Ireland, he was on debut. <laughs> <laughs> he was one of a number of players on debut. This wasn't a captain international, so the lads still don't have caps, but like Lachman is no caps. He had the unfortunate uh, occasion of being on debut, but also being described as Kieran Treadwell. And he goes, oh, his mother's from England. All of us, Morris Fairnage. He's got five full caps. And you're there going, no, he doesn't, brother. Yeah, so you have like J- Jimmy O'Brien on debut. Um, Kieran Ferrari on debut. But like also possibly Lachman. season debut at a, a 10. Or did he play oh, again? No, season debut. Yeah. And Ferrari steps in at the last moment, which is a needs, a needs must thing. You know, it's Harry's fucking precious hamstrings where he can't last, you know, half hour training session. So Frawley goes in and plays uh, a position he hasn't played this season with a player he's never played before inside him and a player he's never played with before outside him. Like, these aren't ideal positions to strive. And, like, you know, Farrell's learnings would be, like, fucking different on the outside than the inside. You'd be like, oh, yes, only the strong survive. And you're going, fucking nobody survived that game. Everyone came out of that worse. Like people who are saying, oh, he did well, he's pushing for a place. That's just, you. that's whatever agenda you have that you're saying like, Coombs did well. Coombs didn't do that fucking well. He did grand. Like, Coombs is better than that. If you don't think Coombs is a better player than he showed in that game, if you don't think Nick Timoney is a better player than he showed in that game, or all the James players, Hume, All the players are better. Yeah. Like, they all looked... They were put in a position to fucking fail. They all looked really poor. They did. Larmer had played three great games in a row. He comes out, that was a stinker from Larmer. Don't mean it. Like, I'm not going to. That's an absolute stinker from Keith Earls. Like, Jimmy O'Brien had his ups and downs. Like, he did okay. But, like, that's not a good game from Jimmy O'Brien. And not a good game from Craig Casey, including the biggest fucking shank I have ever seen off a <laughs> kick. That, but, that brings me to my next question. And of all the boners aren't pulling that game. <laughs> that shank was Craig Casey shanking the ball straight after halftime. And then the Kiwi trying to keep it in play. Uh, hold on. Kieran uh, uh, Frawley, Kieran Frawley, uh, putting the ball, the, the, what do you call it, the Billy Burns special. The penalty in, in the 79th minute. Um, the Joey Carberry first touch, taking the ball back into his 22 and kicking it dead. Or, or Dave Heffernan knocking on the ball or, from a quick tap. Or fucking uh, Hume's bizarro forward pass, which he looked like, I'm going to throw a fake pump and then just fuck it forward with my left hand into somebody else's hand in our own 22. What the fuck was that? Yeah. So or, which was your favourite boner is what I'm going to say. Well, it's Hume's. Hume's it's between Hume. It's between Hume and that absolute Bill Shankly that um, that Craig Casey did. They, they were like... I think a, Heffernan knocking Heffernan. the ball Heffernan. on Heffernan. from a tap off. Atrocious. Like For all these things was atrocious. Uh, I fucking knew he was going to do it. It's a too much of a rush to take that. Like, let's make sure we get this fucking line out. Your man has done a brilliant fucking... Your man had done a brilliant keep it in job the last one. Oh, that's true. So was that like, was the best bit of rugby. Didn't they not change the law where if you start, if you stand outside the pitch and jump up and bat it in and he land inside, inside he pitch. landed inside, yeah. but he started outside. No, he started. He started inside. inside. He did everything. No, right. he did. He he, he started he, outside. Did he? Yeah. I thought he started inside. Jumped, I thought. I thought. Wide and landed inside. I thought it was that. So is it the other way around? If you start inside, bat it up, and then land outside. Which I would have thought is okay. But if you start outside, jump up, 
this one will have to go to the stewards and it comes in I think I think it's I don't think you're let I don't think you're let start what he did was amazing it was deadly though but I I thought just 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 before I forget that on the Craig Casey thing more he received a kickoff oh uh, in the middle of the pitch which is where he's put and he sort of looked around not sure whether he should kick or not not sure if there's anyone to pass and I was there thinking like this is seven shades of useless from everyone. Like, if they want him there to receive kickoffs, he should know exactly what he's going to do. So if, it, if it's... He sh- and he should have Jimmy O'Brien on one side and he should have Frawley on, one, on the other side with the left and right foot so that if he doesn't feel confident in kicking it, he is the best passer in the team. He can give it to one of the two guys who's going to be able to boot it um, to the appropriate touchline. Instead, he caught it looked around, couldn't find anybody, couldn't make up his mind to kick it, and went running up the middle of the pitch, and you're there going, that is absolutely brutal. It's brutal from him, it's brutal from the way the rest of the players are set up, and it's useless the fact that the coaches haven't prepared him for this, or he hasn't prepared. Like, I just, it was... You were saying, explain explain to me what you were telling me before, though, about where people decide to kick off to, and how Ford's set up, and... Uh, oh yeah well there's a few things so then like Frawley Frawley made a kick off early in the first half but it was it was a it was a great kick for like 15-20 years ago where you couldn't lift people at the kick off it was just over the 10 it was high it was hanging it gave Ireland an awful lot of opportunity to get underneath the ball but Ireland can't lift anybody in that situation whereas the Kiwis are obviously going to have two lifters and that's so you're going to drop it on top of a guy they've never met each other (laughs) You're going to drop it on top of a guy who's who's in the air, being lifted by somebody else. Like it's really hard to compete for that ball, and that was the one that Hume got run over. So even like Hume chased after it, and then the guy just ran over him, and you're going, "Oh, that's a terrible look." Like you've just been absolutely trolled here. Like you should be you should be dropping him there, and then you're going, "Okay, there's a few ways to play it, but one of the ways, like if you want to." If you're preparing for a kickoff, you split your forwards. You put like four on one side, four on the other side, because they'll do the same. They'll split theirs, and they're going to put their scrum half on one side of the pitch, or they might put them in the middle of the pitch like Casey was. But you kick to the side where the scrum half isn't. Like if this is the way they line up, they line up with the, the scrum half on one side, you just kick over there. So then kick when, to the side where the scrum, kick half, to the side where the scrum half isn't. So when they bring it down, their scrum half has either had to run away, run all the way across the pitch, or they have to have somebody who's not a scrum half passer from the base or they're just they're just going to pick and jam. But either way, you've just slightly discommoded them because um, you're making them do something. Like They're reacting to you. So even if you don't get the ball back, and Ireland's kick just, it didn't make any sense to put it up that high to where they've got lifters. Mm. And the other thing, if you're putting Craig Casey in the middle of the pitch, it's like, it's like you can kick... You can kick to our scrum half in the middle of the pitch. Who's five foot fucking five and doesn't kick that well. Maybe they will do that. Like, But that's the thing. Like yeah. If you're the coaches and you're going, wait, we've put him here. You're going... What's the plan? Like, yeah, what's going to happen? Like, what do you think is going to happen if they kick to him? So, <clears throat> we've established that Ireland were bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really were, though. But they were bad. Um... Farrell went full learnings in his uh, post-match. Farrell? I said a lot of, you know, some individual things did go right with a lot of, you know, a lot of bad and take a lot of learnings into it. What useful things can we take out of that match? 
We won the second half, remember? Yeah, well, basic things. For the next Mary match, I don't think we can take end now that for New Zealand match. For the next Mary match, it's like, get away from the ball quicker at the breakdown. Don't just fucking roll onto the wrong side or lie in the ball. Most referees will penalise you. Like, we were right to be penalising those. Secondly, yeah, you have to have line speed. You can't just run up in front of the referee all the time. Like, most of those were given by Barnes. Like one of them was given by a touch judge. Um, but most of them were given by Barnes. Because he's just like, you lads are offside. It's not hard to tell. So they're key things. Kick chase is like, yeah, you have to chase. Don't bother. Don't worry about fucking, oh, get into the right channel and then chase. You have to chase. Like, you have to chase hard. You have to support one or You can't go, like, oh, one person will do the chase. Ditto with the fucking, um, ditto with, like, fighting across to make tackles. Like, if somebody breaks, you have to scramble. No, like, we've left Earl so many times to be, like, the scramble tackler. Earl's, he wasn't on his game. And, I, like, I think three of the four tries, maybe all four of them came down his wing. He just wasn't on his game. And you're still like, Jesus, without Earl scrambling, like, Ireland has no scramble. There's one time, I have to say, in fairness, Heffernan made a great attempt. Like, he was fucking miles off getting there, but he busted his hole all the way through. I thought back. Heffernan, apart from the top off, I thought he played well. <laughs> given that he, like he had, again, he has athletic limitations to, to playing at that level. If you're playing against New Zealand team, you cannot give them space, and you have to make your tackles count. So you, you just can't have soak tackles, because they just won't stop for you. And... I remember the second test um, in 2012, the, the kidney series. And in the, in the first few minutes, we put up a kick and we were right underneath it. And then we did the same again and the same again. And you're looking at it going, we're on for this. This is great. Like, if, if you kick to New Zealand and think, and, uh, and give them a chance to counterattack, and think it's going to work out for you, you're dreaming. This is... This is training ground stuff for them. Like, this is the absolute ideal. And if, if you don't meet New Zealand on a tackle, like you have to make your tackles bite. If you do those two things, there's, it's still really hard to beat them. Yeah, but you're not, gonna, you you're not will, gonna get hammered though. You will stick to them. You will stick to them. And as good and all as the New Zealand rugby instinct is, plan B is lower, harder, faster. Like, there, there isn't a huge amount of tactical flexibility. Like, their, their instincts are brilliant in New Zealand. Like, their, their skills are brilliant. But they, they don't really plan, like, to get beaten by Ireland. They don't sort of plan to go, oh, if this isn't working, we'll do something completely different. Mm. Like, they don't think like that. They just go, we'll just go lower, harder, and faster, doing exactly the same thing. And if, yeah. and if, if you take away their space and you tackle them, that's the game. Correct. And the other thing as well, which is really noticeable, and this is like an Ireland versus New Zealand thing. Like Irish tackle players are coached, take the tackle, go to the ground, set up the rock. She's like, New Zealanders like, oh, if you have to go to the ground, fall the right way. Like there's just so much more. Like you can see, you can see Irish players like looking, not all of them, but like there's still a big trend. Like let's set up this rock. And like the, the Kiwis are like, it's going to fucking keep on fighting. And then basically, like, the choke tackle does not work. All you have to do is, like, trail your fucking shoelace on the ground. Once, once the upper of your shoe is now on the ground, basically, once you can get your knee pointing down to the ground, most refs are going to say tackle. Tackle raise. So you're tackled, right? If you're that player who's been held, you're tackled. So you're, you're down. 
You don't have to release the ball. The players have to release you. One of the great fucking dichotomies of rugby. You know, the tackle player must roll away. Sorry, the tackler must roll away from the tackle player. But then you're not held so you can get up and go again. Like, what the fuck is the law? Wow, well, you're nonsense. No, what is he? It's a nonsense. And then, and I'll tell you another thing. At these tramps. <laughs> <laughs> You should be getting at least a 12 month <laughs> Okay. Uh, have we. So, our do learnings are don't do that. Uh, also, don't get COVID in your camp and don't get three injuries before you play a match. My um, learning would be give a team a chance to win the game. Don't put a team out which doesn't have a proper captain, which doesn't have a pack leader which doesn't have somebody to call the line outs. Certain things fell against them. Like, he would have liked to have been able to pick, say, Ty Byrne in that game, who hasn't played rugby in a long time. You know, he wouldn't be making a comeback. If he'd had Hendo in there, he could have given Ty Byrne a half. Or he could have picked Omani. Which I would have liked. To captain. Or he could have picked Rob Herring. So, like, put Omani and Rob Herring into that starting pack. Yeah. And it's a very different look. And even if Rob Herring is... And this is part of the thing, this is part of the reality of going on tour and playing a match on a Wednesday and having a test match on a Saturday. You go, fuck it, they're going to have to double up. But look, that's what Keane to... was going to have to do. To yeah. Him. You know, Keane came on after like 86 seconds or something. You're going, Jesus, is he going to play 80, like 78 minutes in this and then 20 minutes in the next, like three days later against fucking New Zealand? And this, this Thankfully, me... he won't have to now because he's broke leg. This struck me earlier about the the eight man bench, and then what you were saying about the the midweek like our midweek matches were at the crack. Players just aren't conditioned to play twice a week. They're not conditioned to play eighty minutes a match because it's all about the eight man bench. Like you just presume that a guy who's playing in the front row is going to play fifty to sixty minutes, and then he's off. And like. Anybody who plays beyond that is kind of like, geez, that's weird. He He's an iron it. man. He's, yeah, he doesn't do it anymore. But that leads to 130 kilo props. See, you like talk about the article. You, you've oh, we talked it. about it. We talked about it. We talked didn't about talk it. about it as extensively yeah. as what the article says and 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 the ramifications of it. Oh, just the nature of the fact. Now, it's not just the eight man bench. It's that so many, so many uh, teams can go with a six man, six man four pack on the bench. So you're placing your entire front five. Like that is usual in rugby. I thought that we were going to, we may choose to do it against uh, the Mary next time. I think we're going to try it once. Like of having, just going to replace all my pack because you know what? Backs probably don't get injured that much. And forwards And we talked about tired. all this bit. We talked about all this bit, but the, like the game is much slower as a consequence. Oh yeah. The, the way that scrums are interpreted are that, if you're going forward by a foot or a meter, you'll get a penalty. Like a, sc- a scrum is just a preamble to a penalty. So like if one team gets an upper hand, um, they'll either obliterate the opposition or they get a penalty. And if you've got two guys with 130 kilos in your front row or in your front five, the chances are that you'll get it. And then you just swap these guys, you swap, as Hugo's saying, like you just swap all of these five guys out and bring on another bunch of monsters and fitness doesn't come into it. And like in a game that struggles with concussion, I'm not saying it's the, the best, the only way to address it, but if you may, if you had fewer subs, you would place a higher premium on aerobic capacity rather than mass. So you'd have 
lighter players, even the players who are big and playing now, would be smaller because yeah. they're going to have to survive for 80 minutes. Like if you had one sub prop, one sub hooker, and one more sub for your um, for your entire pack, and you can pick another front row if you want, but that's it. Like that, that's all that you're going to cover. You'd have smaller, fitter players because you cannot replace your entire front five. Like Porter, when he's gone from Porter, used to be listed in uh, Leinster and Ireland's websites as 125 kilo. I think he was on that tight head side. One year later, he's listed 114 kilo. So he's lost 11 kilos switching from one side to the other. Like this is all achievable. Um, but on the other hand, we go back to the game I watched last weekend, which was the top 14 final, which was fucking like a huge spectacle with an out hilariously uh, long walk around handshake from Macron. Which must have taken twenty fucking minutes. He's so he's doing the doing the handshake with everyone, looking everyone in the eye, a few words with everyone. Like it was it was literally ten times as long as the walkthrough that Michelin does. Ten times, I would say. And then cast from there, this my not quite beloved, but the cast team that I so admire, these nerveless underdogs. Went out and fucking shat the bed and conceded three tries in 12 minutes. Game was over after fucking 15 minutes. But the two teams who finished top of the top 14, Montpellier, who um, who have like, you know, finished, I think, first, or sorry, Cass finished first, and they have 230 kilo props, which put them slightly out of, out of position because Montpellier have three. You know, it's just they're going like, the size of these lads and the extreme... Now, I'm not sure whether the top 14 operates different laws with regards to substitutes because they seem to roll people on and off with great frequency. And uh, I think it's wrong and it's a bad way to go. And, and, and But, sorry, you look at it and you go, like, this is the game. This is completely this normal. Is, this, this is, is now the game. This is what people think. So, like, midweek matches don't work anymore because... Um, you, players just aren't conditioned to play two matches a week. Yeah, and correct. Well, they're hardly conditioned to play eighty minutes. Then. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the, the majority the, of the marks you've like, got eight. You've got you can replace more than half your team. More than half your team. Like when the fuck? Whose idea was that in rugby? It's that's just coaches. Coaches would have fifteen men on the bench if they could. Just want to take all the risk out of it as they can. And that only suits the bigger teams, the teams with more money, the teams with more players. You know, it also takes a lot of skill away from the game. Because, like, what are you on for? Oh, I'm a tight head. I come on only to scrum on the tight head side and hopefully win penalties. Like, if you have to be a player who can cover, you can cover both. Say, say you have, like, a, a guy who can cover a hooker and loose head. Or he can cover, like, Keane was, was noted down in the Irish or the New Zealand, like, uh, official thing as... Loose head, hooker, tight head. You know, in case we've come into the Italian sort of uh, situation where one person gets sent off and another person gets sin-binned. But if you should be able to have two, two forward, two front rowers who cover all three positions and then another forward who has to cover the rest. It's like he can, he can be your 5'6", or your 6'7", or your 6'8", or whatever. But I, I think the, the point you're making about the coaches is... Hugely fundamental. Um, 
because of the sort of the voice that they have. And then I think there's a bit of a concern about injuries, but the, the, there's very few people saying anti this. Yeah. Um, but Ken Quarry was the guy who I have an awful lot of time for. Like I'm not really on Twitter at all anymore, but he, he was one of, if not the best guys that we followed on. And we still follow him. Yeah. Um, and he's like, he's a scientist and he's really into rugby. Like it's, it's a potent combination of yeah, knowledge right. The Andre Buometer is also science. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Quarry invented that. Um, and he, he, made the, he made the observation about how much impact it would have if you had lighter players who were more aerobic on concussion. Or mm. what the impact on concussion of, of those type of players. But if you think of parallels, you just go the NFL, which like when we were kids seems so weird that you'd have guys only playing on one side of the ball or like fellas not on the pitch and they'd have special teams and you go, yeah. you seriously, like, these guys only come on for kickoffs. And kickoffs and celebrations. <laughs> and this is this is now kind of what rugby looks like. Oh correct. And you're absolutely right. It's like the coaches obviously know you would have to say the most about rugby. But it's like it's not as though they're fucking disinterested. They are all they're not interested in making rugby look better. They're interested in keeping their jobs. So they take away as many uncertainties as they can. And like, you know, there's a convinced people like it's impossible to scrummage on both sides. It's not impossible. It's fucking hard. But up until like in the 2011 World Cup, it was still a, like a 22-man match day squad. And you, you were making the point that it, it's an enormous skill if you can do it. Yeah. Like JB Pooh could do it. Uh, Sylvain Marconet could do it. Robbie Kempson could do yeah. it. And you go like, these guys are... Olivier Milud, mostly French, but also like South Africans, Oli LaRue scrummage on both sides, Stan Wright scrummage on both sides. And they're hugely valuable. Yeah, because it's a really good skill. Because it, like, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a brilliant skill to have, particularly when you're playing in a game where you've got three props. Or yeah. you, you, can have, you can have four, but it's going to cost you elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is, oh, I have to, like, 6-2 split is, is one thing where you... You're looking for and you're going, oh, it's really hard to find that 23rd man who can go kick, who can kick from hand, who can pass, who can tackle, who can run. You're going, what, a fucking rugby player? It's hard to find a good rugby player. Like, that should be what subs are like. Your sub should be like, this guy, as, as uh, Rod said about a Redier, he's there going, he's not a good scrum half. No, he's not a good winger. He's not a great scrum half, but he's a great rugby player. You know, and you're going... Jesus, such a good point, Raj. Now, Raj is a big proponent of the 6-2 split. But, like, if you have a five-man bench, and it's, like, two front rows, another forward, two backs. Or you can have five forwards if you want. Yeah, five forwards if you but want. like, Jesus, when did we fucking decide that we needed 23 players? And that they all, like, this is a, this is a real pet peeve for me. It's, like, taken this way by coaches, and you're going, game has shitloads. Most games now have either... 14 if if two players come on at the same time or 16 stoppages for subs in the second half because all the subs get used it's very rare that they don't get used and you're going and then you have TMOs and then you have water carriers coming on you you can make a load of changes which aren't going to drastically change the game it's going to make it better for spectators now that going back to 20 men would make it better and to sum up all these things and all those things happen is that uh, the scrum was starting to ruin rugby and uh, instead of addressing the problem by making the laws simpler, 
they address the problem by making them more complicated and getting more and more players to come tail on. wagging the dogs like the, the occasional the match scrum is which a restart go- not a like penalty penalty generating machine or it, at least it was in my day it was just hooker hands in his head everyone grabs a jersey get in there ruffle around a bit lash the ball in the middle see who gets it back but like that's like a game uh, that's right and that was also the way it was for 100 years yeah I'm not saying that there shouldn't be penalties, but should, there should be less uh, laws at the scrum. Should be able to do more. Should be able to bore in. Should be able to push up. Uh, and they should happen faster. Like I'm a big fan of of simple things like the ref verbally hurrying players up. Just they're going, hurry up, get to this lineage. Next time you're this slow, I'm going to give you a free kick against you. Hurry up, let's form this scrum. You know, come on, chop, chop, let's get things moving. All of that stuff is doable. Now, let me bring you... Uh, on the subject of uh, referees disciplining people, uh, that Italian ref not disciplining the Bulls, talking to them six or seven times, we're going to be relitigating a semi-final defeat again. Uh, he's a very nice but guy, he, eh? Yeah, but he's just like, don't keep telling them to hurry up. They're not going to hurry up. Penalise them. Craig Casey got a penalty today for being pushed after the ball was in touch. And then he pushed the fella back. And for some reason, um, Burns showed some leniency and gave us penalty. Because you're getting... Tramped on. Now, everyone's favourite uh, Maori All Black uh, hotshot, Zarn Sullivan. Threw the ball in your man's face early on. The first minute. Yeah. Should have been a penalty. Yeah. Until you stopped that stuff out of the game. Yeah. And instead they were like, oh, cool down. It's like, no, you, give us a fucking you penalty. You made your point. I thought, I thought that was uh, really bonkers. Like, Barnes did write us a bit, but like, we're doing a good job writing ourselves. But that's like, he literally just fucked the ball in your man's face. No, that's a penalty by every standard ever refereed. So there's certain yeah. things about it, like, you know, I think this is a sidebar. Yeah. Recess is over, George. Yeah. Well, ultimately, I would say it led to what was a bad game of rugby because Ireland were all over the shop. The Mary barely played for the second half. And they're a bit of a scratch team as well. But it was also like in every, every play, every play of the game, Barnes had his arm up for a penalty for someone. So it's almost like every fucking play is second guessed by Asher. Doesn't fucking matter. It was a fucking, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's a fucking pain now to watch rugby. That advantages are going so on so long. And well, so. it's just like every it's like, well, I mean, and like I said, I was saying I was saying during the game, it's like no referee will be calling offside in the bit between the twenty twos in the back line like this for another twenty years. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him a little thing saying like you know this is essentially the start of a new season as nationals and they go new interpretation is we're watching this and you're going like you're watching it for fucking three weeks and then you never watch it again. yeah like crooked puddings like, okay Ireland you, you're like Ireland were jumping the gun they were off so I was like he didn't stop them from doing it and he didn't stop Kiwis the Mary from doing it and you're going like this is it, it's a bullshit way to play rugby where every every play is kind of like just no, but what your your point is right. Like it'll be that was referee uh, referee quite harshly in that game. Like we won't see four penalties in one half for backline offside. <laughs> we won't. I think ten years is right. Like uh, Lawrence, the South African referee, did us on Twickenham in two thousand and twelve for multiple offsides, and you're there gone. It was bad day for Ireland, but it was a it was a really good game of rugby to watch because there was a bit of room to attack, and you, you couldn't just flood up. You sort of gone. He's actually going to do us for this. And afterwards, 
I thought to myself, if they referee it like this consistently, and this is the touch judge's job is is to is to watch offside. Like this is what he does, yeah. and he actually has to get it right. Like <laughs> I don't know what touch judges do because everything goes to the telly ref, and it just it, it's taken away all the authority of the official on the pitch. So this is a long-standing drum banger of mine, but I'd love them to. Keep the telly ref for like two captains challenges and just like have the have the touch judges watch the offside, make that their job and like ref it in the middle and have fewer subs and I don't know like I mean it must be the summertime it must be off because <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot coming out a lot of the pet peeves a lot of the pet peeves but but you're looking at it and I think it's one of these things that rugby has that has been around for a long time it's played in a lot of countries. But it's a niche sport. Like, it's, it's, it's just too complicated. And, like, there's this whole sort of, um, like, we've grown up in an era where it's growth, 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 and everything has to get bigger. And you come back from Japan, you go, you know, can we try to make it better without making it bigger? Like, can we, do you accept where you're at and just go, do you know, we're, we're going to, we are going to be a niche sport, but we're going to make it the best little niche sport that we can do. And if if America wants to play it or if China wants to play it, great. But you know what? Like, it's a really good game. They'll play it for if, what it is. Play it for yeah. what it is. Like, just, just look after it for what it is because it's mutated into this terribly officiated, really slow game. Like, I watched the where, highlights. Where guys, where, where, where guys are picked not to play. Yeah. Like, with, with just bizarre. Like, you've got guys who start and guys who are guaranteed to come off and you sort of go, like, what's the point? Like, you're not playing. There's They showed the highlights of the, the 2000 game between uh, the Kiwis and, <laughs> and the uh, Wallabies beforehand, that game as well. Like, 10 minutes highlights of the best game I've ever played. You're going, game was so I different. That, like, a couple of months ago. I know, yeah. Game was so different then. And, like, I wasn't a kid watching that. And like, so I, I like I don't look back on like the two thousand or the nineteen, like eighty five or like nineteen ninety three wins against England. It's like oh, these are the glory days, and the rugby was at its best then. They, that wasn't at its best. And like ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one, that was a really good version of the game. Just a really good edition of it. With I think five subs. And no fucking TV ref or maybe no TV one. ref, and this is the thing. Like you know, you talk about all oh, the cards breakdown. You get sent off for yellow cards. Yeah, but but, <laughs> but maybe this thing's because maybe it's good that you get sent off for yellow cards. But you look back at it and you go, do you know what? Like it isn't the scrum that's the issue in rugby. It's not the breakdown that's the issue in rugby. It's stuff that's really controlled. It's the number of subs and the telly ref are the two biggest blights on the game. Absolutely agreed. Absolutely agreed. And. Things get introduced in in reaction to issues that aren't problems, and they become the things that get introduced become problems. Well, oh, I don't know if we're going to run fifty eight minutes. I'm not sure. What I think we've done enough. Let's cut it here. But I mean, yeah. let's keep on going. <laughs> let's keep on going. Today's anyway, fixed. Ireland's <laughs> <laughs> a non-capped Irish national team has a. Ruptured the space-time continuum of rugby. <laughs> we need to fix it all. Good night. It's broken.